Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. It's awesome as you take a seat online. Uh, if you're joining us, it's great to have you with us as well. Uh, whether you're streaming this in later or you're in uh, somewhere sunny, I hope, or, or if it's rainy, that's all right too, but great to have you with us today. Thank you, Em. Hey, one last thing before we turn to the Word. Can you join me in, um, in thanking our, our team today, in particular our praise and worship team, our production teams, our hosting teams? So good. It is, uh, it's always a little bit of a miracle when you come back from a break and nothing is severely broken, right? That's just the grace of God and people who know what they're doing, which I'm glad for because uh, that's not always true of me. Uh, but it's so awesome. We appreciate, uh, you know, some people have been having sleep-ins for the last couple of Sundays. That stopped today. So we thank you for uh, your, your service uh, and, and your way of loving community uh, before anyone else sees you, don't we? That's good. Hey, one last thing I'd love to do uh, is if you're visiting with us here today, maybe you're online uh, and you've never, you've never been in the room with us or maybe you're in the room and it's your first time or your first time for a while, hopefully on your way in you got a visitor's card, but if you didn't uh, on the way out, if you stop in at our, our help desk, that's the only desk out there just for, for lack of kind of, you're like, which desk is that? I don't know, right? It's, it's, the, it's the black desk with a sign behind it and the friendliest people standing behind the desk. If you stop off at that desk, you can grab a, a hello card and if you fill that out, uh, then, then we can uh, have your details and let you know about what's happening in the life of the church, because it's an exciting time uh, to be the church, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, I don't know, Jono, is it? It is, just trust me, it is, right? Uh, in, in fact, um, I, like I you know, just kind of prayed, uh, we, we really are excited about this year. You know, hopefully we go into every year with a sense of expectation and, and a sense of God's going to do something. But, but this year in particular, I really just feel like uh, this is a year in which God's going to uh, br- bring some restoration, bring some rejuvenation. And maybe you're like, oh, I don't really, you know, nothing feels necessarily, you know, I don't have any big kind of need area in my life. I even feel like it's some of the, it's, it's the things not even that you've been dreaming for, but maybe generations before you dream to see happen that God wants to, to move in. That, that this is a year in which God's just, I really feel like it's saying, hey, come on, I want to show, uh, show, show you some of the things that, that we can do in the city. That this is a year not just to sit back on the defense or in a passive position, but to say, hey, we're actually here to make a difference. We, we do believe that the kingdom of heaven is, is being established here and now. We're not just waiting for a one day, someday uh, coming of heaven, but that we can be involved in something here and now. And I believe that as we step into that call, that mantle, that mission, uh, life is gonna, just going to get better and better. Can I get an amen? Amen. Or if you don't amen that, then uh, I, I don't know, right? It'll take a few weeks. We'll get there. But um. Uh, in, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be starting uh, our series for the year, kind of our banner series, which we soft-launched last year, so you can have a bit of time to, to think about it, to pray about it, to mull it over uh, over the summer break. Uh, I, I was going to, I don't know how on board we're feeling, right? It could be embarrassing for you if I say, and as we all know, that series is, and then I point the microphone and everyone's like, oh, we don't, we've completely forgotten, John. we've got no idea. Do I get any quick kind of nods of, of affirmation or shall I be gentle and spoon feed it to you? Do we remember what the series is? I've got some quizzical looks, right? So I'm gonna, I'm not doubting you, but just to set you up for a win. As we all know, and, and you're about to say back to me, our series for 2024 is this idea of free people, right? You're like, yeah, free people. That's what I was gonna say. Uh, and, and really we're believing that 2024 is a year in which we live unrestricted. 
right, in, in which we live free and, and enabled uh, to follow after what God has for us. That 2024 wouldn't be a year in which we say, gee, I'd, I'd love to see God do this, or I'd love to step out in mission in this area, or I'd, I'd love to fill in the blank, but. But then instead, 2024 would be a year in which we experience the freedom of God, in which we step out and say, no, I'm, I'm called to this, and by God's grace, I believe that this is a year in which I can step into doing it. That 2024 would not be a year of waiting or, or of delay, of biding our time, but 2024 would be a year of saying, hey, it's not perfect. It's never going to be the right time, but right now is the time that I'm stepping out, believing that God's going to move. And so like I said, you're like, John, why are you talking about that now? I thought we're launching that in February. We are, right? But to launch that well, I thought probably what we need to do is some, some prep work, Right? We need to, to lay some groundwork about if we're believing for, for freedom in, in 2024, if uh, free people is kind of the house that we're going to be building throughout the duration of this year, then what's the foundation that we're, we're building that house on? Is that all right? And so this week and, and next week, really what I want to look at is some of the foundations of, of who are we? Like what makes you, you? You ever thought about that? I don't know if, you know, maybe like myself and Nick, you had some times of introspection over the the summer holidays, which can be lovely and dangerous, right? When there's nothing to distract you, you're in that lovely period between Christmas and New Year's Day where days stop kind of losing meaning and, and, and you start to forget what, which date it is. Does anyone else, does that happen to anyone? I love that feeling, right? Usually I'm very closely aligned to the calendar and I'm like, I don't know what date it is and I don't care. It's an amazing space. But when I'm not thinking about the day and what I have to do next week and what I'm going to preach to you guys because you're very demanding, uh, <laughs> That's not true, right? That was, that was kind. It was not kind. But uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> you're not demanding. But there's that moment, that space of like, hey, wow, I could think about this thing. And, and what does this mean? And, and what about this? And so in that sort of space, maybe you start to think, hey, what makes me, me? And, and I want to say, I think there are a lot of things that make us, us. But to start at maybe the most basic, today I want to look at the idea of you are what you say. When you bow your heads with me and, and let's pray, especially since I just called you demanding, right? We need God's prayer. Uh, God, I thank you so much uh, for this moment together. God, I thank you as we gather that, that you are present with us, that you are in our midst. And God, I pray today as, as, as we come together uh, that, that it wouldn't just be my ideas, that we wouldn't just look at some, some helpful things or concepts or frameworks. God, we want more than that. We want to encounter you today. And so I pray today as, as we gather together around your word that, that if nothing else happens, God, the only thing that we want to happen, the place that we want to start is an encounter with you, that we would be built up, that we would be encouraged, that, that we would realize more of who you are and more of who we are, that we would be better equipped to be your people and more assured of your love for us. God, I pray today that, that we would leave here more convinced of your love for us and, and, and better equipped to be the people that you call us to be. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in, in late 2018, uh, the, the art world and really the whole world, it, it was kind of those things that went just from the, the, the art world into the, the general newspapers of the world, was shocked by this elaborate prank played by the street artist Banksy. Anyone know Banksy? Yeah, Banksy has permeated pop culture so much now that you can buy like a knockoff Briscoe's uh, painting of Banksy. It's not a real Banksy, but it looks like a Banksy, uh, and, and that's interesting, right? Banksy is, is everywhere. In 2018, Banksy was kind of at the height of his, his fame. 
And, and at the height of his fame, he had uh, organized to sell one of his most popular paintings, a, a painting called Girl with Balloon, which if you know Banksy, you think of Banksy is probably the painting that comes to mind. And so he had organized with the, the auction house Sotheby's in, in London to, to sell it. And so there it was in the auction room, hanging on the wall. And this painting, you know, usually Banksy, he's a street artist, so usually his, his art is found on the street, right? It's in the name. But this one was on canvas, and, and so more easily able to be purchased and hung in a home. So people were interested. And, and it's in this beautiful kind of gilded romantic frame, which is quite odd for, for Banksy, but people are like, this is, okay, he's doing something interesting. This is, this is new. And, and as people are in the auction room, as they're sipping their champagne and, and nibbling on their caviar, the paint and, painting, it goes up for auction. And, and, and the bidding is, is pretty ferocious. It's back and forth until finally it's bought by an anonymous bidder for $2.1 million, which is a lot of money for a painting, regardless of how cool you think Banksy is. But even more interesting, at the moment that the gavel went down, Banksy had arranged for a button to be pushed. And the button that was pushed activated a shredder, right? A, a paper shredder that had been installed into the bottom of this beautiful gilded frame that this Banksy print was in. And so as soon as the, the, the auction had finished, the canvas went down in the frame in front of the shocked audience. It looked a little bit like this. So, there they are. The painting has just sold for $2.1 million, and in front of everyone, it shreds itself. It destroys itself. This, this painting that, that was worth so much has just ripped itself into multiple pieces in front of everyone. And I love that, that video, right? I love it for a, a bunch of reasons. There's one lady in particular, her reaction just brings me joy every time I see it. Do you know what I mean? She's kind of front screen, her eyes are like this, like, ah. And, and I love the auctioneer, right, who's probably just been talking like, here's a Banksy, get a Banksy, get a Banksy, go Banksy one, go Banksy two. I don't know, that's how an auction talks, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden he's like, uh, uh, um, not often you see an auctioneer lost for words, right? Like, ladies and gentlemen, the painting, like I think the contract is still binding, like what happens, right? But my last favorite bit is, is the security guards that come along at the end. Because there they are, right? The security guards are there presumably to protect the painting from the people, and you must be a very confused security guard that day, right? Like you go in, you have your brief, you're like, okay, we're selling a Banksy. Some people might come and try and rob the Banksy, which is a confusing turn of phrase, but, but go with us. Nowhere in, in, in your kind of debrief that day are you like, and watch out in case the painting self-destructs. And so they run in, they're kind of confused, like we're going to take it off the wall, but I mean, it doesn't really make it any safer, does it? Like the thing that damaged it is built into the painting. On the wall, off the wall, we're still in trouble. See, no one knew that day as the, as the painting was sold that it had this self-sabotage built in. And what I think is true of you and I is, is if we're honest, we all kind of have a bit of a button, a bit of a thing in us throughout life where life can be going all right and then something happens and we just start to shred ourselves a little bit. We just start to, to self-destruct a little bit. We start to internally implode. We start to damage ourselves. Paul puts it this way famously in Romans chapter 7. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I, what I want, I'd want to do what is right, but I inevitably do what is wrong. 
I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, see, Paul says, there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. See, Paul says, we can all be our own worst enemy. I don't know about you, but so often in my life, I find that I can pursue comfort over meaning. I can pursue the immediate over, over the significant. But that's not who we want to be, is it? Like, I don't, I don't think any of us want to look back at our lives at 105 or, or whatever, um, you know, extrapolating out for age expectancies, you're going to live to be 105, and think, man, I was just living from, from urge to urge. I had so much potential. I had so many things that I wanted to be a part of, so much beauty that I feel God was calling me to, to bring about on earth, so many relationships I could have cultivated, but, but instead I, I just kept on putting it off. And so I think if we're honest with ourselves, we need to declare war. Now, that's an odd turn of phrase, right? Like we're not super comfortable, and, and that's a good thing with this idea of, of, of declaring war on things. In fact, this idea of war and, and going to war on things is probably a misused concept throughout church history. But in, in this case, I think that it's accurate. Because while I don't think there is a biblical invitation to go to war on a people, and I want to be, be really clear on that, right? Followers of Jesus are called to be peacemakers. Followers of Jesus are called to be people who turn swords into plowshares, right? We do not go to war against people, but there is an invitation for us to turn our eyes inwards and, as Paul says, to, to engage in this war within our mind to go to war against the, the urges that would seek to destroy us, to go to war against our, uh, the, the deceit within us, to go to war against our own selfish nature. There is an opportunity for us to look internally and say, hey, where is there a self-destruct button and how do I go to war against that? To not simply accept, sometimes in life, I'm just gonna blow things up. That will happen if you're anything like me. Right, but that doesn't mean it's a thing that we should say, hey, I guess it's just going to happen, and so I shouldn't do anything about it. All that to say this, if I could sum up this message today in a, in a single sentence, I think it would be this. You can change the way that you feel by changing the way that you think. Now, if you're anything like me, what you think about, sometimes you think about things so much that you actually end up, don't, you don't do anything. Right, you think about so much things so much that you never actually get around to any sort of change. In fact, sometimes thinking can replace doing as kind of a, I've thought about it so much, surely something's happened. It's like, no, you've just really thought about it a lot. You still do need to do something. Sometimes that's the way when we're sitting on the couch at the end of a long day and we've started watching TV and we haven't yet done the dishes, I think about the dishes a lot, <laughs> hoping that they will get done. And sometimes magically they just do get done. I don't know what happens, right? Someone goes and, and does them. There's a magical fairy in our house. Sometimes she, she asks me to help as well, and, and, and um, that is the appropriate thing to do. But sometimes we can get caught up in our thoughts, right? Or, or, or more accurately, we probably get caught up in our feelings. And, and I think the way that we feel is responsible for so many of the problems that we can get into in life. We often live from our feelings, live swayed by our emotions. But we can influence how we feel by influencing the way that we think. Right? Because there's a direct line from our feelings to our thoughts. In fact, there's a, a psychological concept of this link between thoughts and feelings, that every feeling has a thought behind it, whether we're aware of that thought or not. 
right? Some of those thoughts are, are kind of automatic thoughts that go on that we're not really aware of. But if we drill down into it, every feeling is connected to some sort of a thought or an idea. Essentially, you, you are what you think. And, and Scripture tells us this. So we see it in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, where it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You are what you think. And I'm not saying, just to be clear, that every single problem in our life can just be solved by mind over matter, right? Like, oh, just, just reframe it, power of positive thinking, some daily affirmations, and you'll be all good, right? I'm, I'm not saying that. If you've encountered any sort of real problems in life, you're like, Jono, it doesn't really matter what I'm thinking. The problem is still there, right? I'm not saying that you can just solve it mind over matter. None of us are a Professor Xavier as much as, as sometimes I do try, um, it doesn't happen, right? I'm not saying mind over matter. What I am saying is what happens in your mind matters. Yeah? Now, that was, that was, quite, that was quite good, right? Just a little pat on the back for that. Thank you. Uh, appreciation of that. I'm not saying that it's mind over matter, but I am saying that what happens in your mind matters. Because negative thoughts will not lead, I've found at least, to a positive life. And, and there's a litany of verses that support this. This isn't just me putting on a demo run of, of being a motivational speaker. It's not on my kind of dream board of 2024, although if you are looking to book me for corporate functions, do get in touch, right? Offer a competitive rate, and uh, it, no, that's not true. Um, but here are just four of them. If you turn your eyes to the screen, four verses where we see that this is an established idea in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3 tells us this. If then... You were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. Set your mind on what? Things above. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Or the same idea in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is saying that if you want to live right, you need to start by thinking right. And then Jesus was asked one time, hey, Jesus, what is the most important thing we can do? Which if you've got a minute with Jesus is a pretty good question, yeah? And, and Jesus responds, we see in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. I don't know if you've stopped and thought about that before. What, what does it mean to love God with my mind? Like, does, does that just mean, just like, think love at God? Mm, love, 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 right? Like, is that, is that loving God with your mind? I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. If that helps you to feel closer to God, then awesome. But that's not what I think it, it fully means, right? And instead, I think it means, what do we do with our thoughts? What is our thought life like? It, is the thoughts that we think, I'm going to be careful, I'm going to get into Dr. Zeus territory here, right? But are they, are they God-honoring? Are we thinking in such a way that, that honors God? And a part of that, as uncomfortable as it might make us as New Zealanders, is how do we think about ourselves? 
If God has made us, and if God says that he has made you good, that you are his masterpiece, his artwork, his poema, which means that we get from that the word poem, right? That God, you are the poem that God has written. If you are something made by God that he says is good, how you think about yourself matters, especially in relation to loving God with your mind. Now, I want to acknowledge, none of us ever kind of wake up in the morning and think, do you know what today is a good day for? Today is a good day to have a bad day. Right, like today, look at that, it's on the calendar, it's a Tuesday, today is my weekly ascribed bad day, today's going to suck, let's go. Right, but many of us do wake up and, and allow ourselves to think thoughts that lead to a bad day. Right, wake up in a certain frame of mind, we've all done it, wake up feeling a certain way, wake up, you know, with certain things going through our head, and, and we, we chase those emotions, we chase those feelings, we chase those thoughts that lead to a negative day, because unfortunately, the reward for negativity is always going to be more negativity. Right, there's never a case in which you wake up and start thinking negative thoughts and then just get it out of your system. You can try Tell me how it goes. The reward for negativity is always going to be more negativity. Whatever you're searching for, you're going to see more of. And so we need to understand something. We are in charge of the thoughts that stay in our head. You are not in control of what just shows up in your head. Right? Things will come in. Thoughts pop in. If you're anything like me, right? Thoughts run in. You're like, hey, there's a thought. Okay. You don't necessarily have control over that. Other things will happen to you, which make thoughts come into your mind. You don't have a control over that, but you do have control over which thoughts stay there. We can say it this way. There is a difference between thinking and thinking about. A, a, a thought pops up. You're thinking that. Okay. Now, do you choose to continue to think about it? Right? Is, it, is it helpful? Do you want to think about this in this way? And, and what happens if you do? What happens if we double down on that negative thought? What happens if we hunger into the bad feeling? Will things get better? You know, in, interestingly, the Stanford professor Arnold Zwicky, which is a great last name. Sometimes I get last name envy. My last name is Brown, which is about as standard as you can get. So when I come across someone like Zwicky, I'm like, dang it. That's a cool last name. Stanford professor Arnold Zwicky puts it this way. He calls it the, the frequency illusion. A frequency illusion is part of our, how our brain works. And Zwicky essentially says, once you've noticed a phenomenon, you'll think that it happens a whole lot, even all the time. There's, there's something about what you're focusing on that causes you to feel like there is more of it than there really is. And this is because of two psychological processes, uh, selective attention and confirmation bias. I don't understand. This is all, you're using words that have multiple syllables. I don't like this. Go back to the funny jokes, right? Like, what does this mean? Let me give you an example. We've all experienced this. This is that moment when you've decided, hey, we need to buy a new car. And so you start searching Trade Me, or maybe you're going through Auto Trader, or, or, or you're on YouTube watching videos of best car to buy 2024, right? That's a great place to start. And, and, and you're doing a bit of research. And, and so something starts popping up. Maybe you're like, okay, it's the Ford Ranger, right? I, I Googled before I wrote this message, and the most popular car in New Zealand is the Ford Ranger. That's why I started with that one. Everyone's like, I don't have a Ford Ranger. Look. Google said it, right? Maybe it's the Mitsubishi Outlander, second most popular car in New Zealand. Again, not landing with anyone. Maybe it's the, a BYD or a Tesla if you're a bit more environmentally conscious, right? Or maybe for those of us who our primary factor in buying a car is not the car that we want, but the car that we can afford, it's a lovely Toyota, right? Can I get a whoop whoop for the Toyotas in the room? Yeah. Right, and so you start looking and you start researching and looking into this car that you think you're gonna buy and, and you're looking into the stuff and you spend so much time looking at it and then what happens? 
You've narrowed in on the car that you're thinking about buying. All of a sudden, selection attention kicks in, and it causes you to go out in the car that you currently have, that bucket of bolts, right? The thing you're trying to replace, the horrible thing. And you're looking around, you're driving around, and what happens? The car that you want to buy, the car that you're thinking about buying, it's everywhere. Right, you're like trying to, you're like, there's one, and, and, and there's, there's another one, and, and, and there's another one. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're like, wow, we're, we're making the right decision. Like, so many people cannot be wrong. Look at how many of these cars are on the road, and they're all running perfectly. You see that one? It was purring as it went past us. And the people inside it, they looked so happy. Right, this is the right decision. We are making the right decision. Right, now, now there are no more of, of that car on the road today than there were yesterday. But your selective attention is causing you to notice it because it's what you've been focusing on. So your brain is causing you to see more of it because you've been dwelling on it. And then confirmation bias kicks in, right? Your your subconscious sees that you acknowledge the pattern that it found. It's like, hey, you're thinking about this car. Look at all of the cars that I found. You acknowledge that pattern and, and, and you go, oh my gosh, look at all of these cars. And when you did that, your subconscious got a pat on the head. Right, it got like an attaboy. And when you patted your subconscious on the head, it was like, oh, that feels quite nice. Like, I, I like that. I'm going to find more of them. I'm going to go after, and I'm going to find, uh, there's another one, and there's another one. And look at that car. That's not the car that you want, but it's red, and you were thinking about a red car, so you might as well include that one as well. And, and all of a sudden, this thing called the frequency illusion has started to become the self-fulfilling prophecy, because wherever you're looking, you find what you're looking for. This car is everywhere. And all of a sudden, you're basically on tracks, right? There's, no more t- there's not a decision to be made. The decision has been made. It is fate, right? And, and so you're just going to do the only logical thing that there is to do. You have to buy the car. There's no other decision. Because of confirmation bias and selective attention together have combined to make this frequency illusion where, where it all comes together and all you see is the car that, that you're thinking about until you buy it. See, this, this also works in bigger and, and more dangerous ways than just buying a car. See, as I've said before, the reward for, for negativity is, is, is more negativity. And, and here's how this can sometimes look. If you go to work thinking, you know, that, that workmate, last week they were mean to me, and so this week they're, they're probably going to be mean to me. I, I bet they're, gonna, they're out to get me. Like, they just don't like me. I'm sure of it. And, and so now everything they say and everything they don't say, you're like, oh, no, that, that, that was aimed at me. Right, that you usually you usually finish your sentences on and up, and you didn't. You're angry at me. You you hate me. I know it. Right, everything they laugh at, everything they don't laugh at. They're laughing at a joke in the break room. You're like, they're laughing at me. I, I didn't hear anything, but I'm sure of it. They're laughing at me. They 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 hate me. Everything they invite you to, and everything they don't invite you to. You're just waiting to to get wounded. You're hoping to get hurt. Or, or, or maybe to get a little bit closer to home for some of us in the room. You you start focusing on the negative things that your spouse does. Right? Maybe to go back to a previous totally unrelated illustration, you know, they forget to load the dishwasher. They don't clear the dishes or, or they're five minutes late from home or, or they left that thing in the wrong place or they didn't ask you about how your day was. And, and they also did a bunch of nice things, but you're not looking for the nice things. And so the nice things fade into the background and the negative things stand out in sharp relief. The nice things you can't remember, the negative things you remember twice. And so you say, I'm not sure if I can work here. I don't know if this is the right place for me. That, that they're out to get me. They're horrible. They hate me. Or I, I don't know if I can stand this person. Like, what is going on here? And sometimes I want to say that's legitimate. 
Sometimes we need to leave that job or we need to work on that relationship if it's not healthy. But I also know that in my life, there have been moments that I can look back on and see, man, I, I ran when I needed to fight. Right, the, the monster in my mind was much bigger than the problem in my life. It's one of those moments that we, we see is in, in cartoons where there is a little monster with a big flashlight casting a large shadow. And we are afraid of the shadow. We run from the shadow, but it's not actually as big as it seems. We behave from feelings, not convictions. And see, I think we need to understand so often it's, it's not just that there is more negativity. It's not that the world is a worse and worse place. It's the frequency illusion. We see what we're looking for. We're on the lookout for negativity. We train our minds to see it, and so we do. And we, and we say, I told you so. Like, I, I, I knew it was like that. I knew that that job wouldn't work out. I knew that I'd never be happy. Story of my life. But what happens if the story that we are telling is just simply not a good story? What happens if you are choosing to write the story of your life? What, what happens if there is, is, is an agency that you have over the way that things are going and life is playing out in a certain way? Frequency illusion is kicked in. All you can see is bad. And so you, does anyone remember? And this is a deep cut, right? Primary school, we used to sing songs, yeah? I mean, they still do now, but they don't sing songs that are as good as the songs that we used to sing. I think we can all agree. Did anyone else sing the Lemon Tree song? It's a horrible song for children to sing, right? I wonder how, I wonder why. Yesterday you told me about the blue, blue sky, but all that I can see is just another lemon tree. Hey, kids, life's going to be awesome. But how often is, is that the way that, that we view life, right? I walk around, I tell you more of the song, but it just came to mind and I literally cannot remember another lyric. It was a dangerous thing to try and quote it then, right? And, and it's this moment of, oh, well, oh, of course life's going to be hard. There's a lemon tree, there's a lemon tree, there's a lemon tree. Things are, are hard. And so we write down all the lemon trees that we see. And, and see, I don't say this to, to make us feel like, oh, well, if you're finding life hard, then it's your fault. That's another bad thing. But instead to suggest a, a sense of agency. Hey, what happens if you do have control? Again, not over the things that happen to you necessarily, not over the thoughts that come into your mind necessarily, but over what you keep in your mind, the things that you choose to dwell on. See, see, the bad news is, is that we can be writing a destructive story. But we're not people defined by bad news. And in fact, the good news is, is that if this can be used for evil, for destruction, for hurting us, if there is a self-destruct switch, then it can also be used for good. And so my suggestion today, like I said at the start, is quite simple. We can change the way we feel if we change the way we think. This is not self-help. This is biblical. And so what if we started to look for something different? What if we trained our minds to, to be help rather than a hindrance? What if we trained our minds to honor God rather than reflect something darker? What if we started to look for the signs of good, the signs of beauty? What if we didn't look for the worst examples in people, but instead for the best? I love this quote from, from Fred Rogers. Anyone a Fred Rogers fan? Right, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it's great. Daniel Tiger is the modern reinvention. But he says this, Fred Rogers, he says, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. And my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. I love this quote because of the nuance in it. Right? Fred Rogers' mother doesn't say to him, hey, turn off the TV, that's scary. Ignore the bad things. Stick your head in the sand. Pretend that life is fine. She allows him to embrace the fact that life is sometimes hard. 
We don't want to avoid that. We don't want to ignore that or else we either set ourselves up for disaster or we become some sort of hard-hearted person who cannot abide anyone else's suffering because it, it collapses our fragile worldview. And now don't tell me about bad things. That's scary, right? Life is sunshine and lollipops and, and ignoring it. But instead, it's, hey, look, yeah, there are hard things there. But don't just see the hard. Look in the middle of the hard for the fact that there is also good. Look in the middle of the disaster. Let the disaster hit your heart. Let it grieve you because it is not the way that it should be. But do not ruminate. Do not think only on the disaster. Don't just keep on playing the disaster and over. Look for the helpers. Look for the fact that in the middle of someone's worst day, someone was there doing something good, doing what they could, doing the little bit that they were able to in that moment. See, we, we don't want to ignore the world, but we can influence what we look for and focus on. And when we do, all of our sudden, our subconscious is redirected, and it starts to bring us an alternative view of the world. If maybe before it was telling you that everything was wrong, that it all sucked, that there was no point, now you're looking for the good, for, for the beauty, for the, the best. All of a sudden, your mind starts pointing out to you, hey, hey, there's good. Hey, there's God at work. Hey, there's God in your life. Hey, there's a testimony. Hey, there's someone who is nice. Hey, there's someone who is charitable. Hey, there's someone who is generous. And your subconscious starts to seek it out. And now all of a sudden, you're living the exact same life, but the story that you are telling is a better story. See, central to our faith, I believe, is the conviction that the world is ultimately good. That evil is a result of the enemy. Evil is a result of Satan, the deceiver. That it's not how things should be. It's not how things were made to be, and it's not how things will be. It is a, an interruption in God's good plan, but that God is at work. And so when good shines through, when the world proves itself to be a good place, it is revealing the true nature of the world. It is not a brief departure from reality. It is not a, a, a slight blip in the moment, right? The world is sunshine, and sometimes there are shadows, not the other way around. And when we start to look at that world that way, when we start to believe, truly believe within us, God made a good world, something in us says, hey, we should look for the positive. And again, I'm not talking about positive thinking as a replacement for God. Instead, I would suggest, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting positive thinking as a response to God. God, you made a good world. God, you said that it was good. God, you are about a good work. You are doing something good in me and good in others. The arc of history is towards redemption, and so help me to see it. God, I'm looking for the beautiful. I'm looking, as Paul says, I'm not going to be conformed to this world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm filling my mind and meditating on the true, the noble, the reputable, the authentic, the compelling, the gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful not the ugly. Not because I'm denying the, the hard things in life, but because I'm choosing not to magnify them. And again, I just want to be really clear to drive this home one more time. I'm not saying ignore anything hard. But, but then other than seeking a solution or, or telling God of our concerns, I love, Britt's not here with us today, but uh, Britt has a great phrase of just bring a fat lament to God. I just think that's a nice way of phrasing it, right? bringing what's going on to us to God and saying, God, this sucks, it's yours, <laughs> right? When we chat again, I would like some progress, please. But if not, you're still God, 
right? We don't ignore the hard, we bring it to God. But if we're not thinking about a solution or bringing it to God, then maybe dwelling on it is not the healthiest or the most helpful thing for us to do. We don't need to focus on the negative. We need to look for where God is at work. Because I've found as the, the worship team joins me, that it's pretty hard to worship and worry at the same time. I want to say that again. I've found it's pretty hard to worship and worry at the same time. And so maybe if you find yourself in a place of worry, maybe if you need a reprieve from the negative thoughts and you're not quite sure how to pull yourself out of that cycle, a momentary reprieve can simply be to choose to to change the channel, to choose to put on a song of worship when you desperately don't feel like it. Say, God, I'm going to choose to worship you, not because I feel like it in this moment, but because I need to be reminded of something more than simply me. We talked about this last year, right? When we're talking about trust and trouble, that that one of the, the traditions of the church in the middle of trouble is sung worship. Something that lifts us from the the negativity that we might find ourselves in and gives us a context. God, this is hard and this is bad, but you are still good and you are still powerful. And I have to hold those two things in tension, but right now I'm not gonna put my my attention into what I'm worried about. I'm gonna put my attention towards you and allow that to do something in me. See, I'm, I'm, I'm done, so to land this as clearly and practically as I can, what makes you you? Well, one thing that's central is we are what we say. So, so what are you saying? Not, not just the words that, that come out of your mouth, because Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and so what's the internal conversation? What's going on in the heart that might spill out of your mouth? What, what story are you telling yourself? And the answer isn't to simply stop trying to think about anything negative. This isn't an invitation to denial. Negative thoughts will still pop in because thoughts are thoughts and sometimes bad things happen. But, but how will we respond? What if we followed the suggestion of Paul to set our mind on things above, to fill our minds with the true, the noble, the reputable, the authentic, the compelling, the gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. See, I would suggest, and in fact, research tells us that focusing on what you want to add to your life, what aligns with with your values is always going to be more successful in changing unhelpful thinking rather than just thinking, stop thinking bad. It's like if someone says, don't think about purple elephants. Purple elephants. Right, it's not just thinking, hey, don't think any negative thoughts. No, that's negative, don't think about it. But instead choosing to focus on something else. And what I love about this when we choose to refocus our attention on God is it takes away the implication that we are changing things, that we are white-knuckling our way through it, that through sheer force of will, I'm gonna be a positive person. And it reminds us of the fact that God is the focus, that as we focus on God, as we do what we can, God does what we can't. We, we bring our thoughts to God and God brings our thoughts into order when we focus on Him and where He is at work. I want to suggest you can change the way you feel if you change the way you think. And again, to land this in reality, I am done. I want to acknowledge that this is a really good game plan going forward. If anyone's here today, you feel like you're on a clean slate, like, cool, I'm going to do that. That sounds amazing. But, But maybe you're here today and you'd recognize today that you feel like you're already in a bit of a negative, destructive cycle. That if you were a painting today, the shred button has been pushed. Maybe you're not all the way shredded, but there's some shredding. There's some mess, there's some hurt. 
And, and for so long, you feel like you've been focused on the negative things that now your confirmation bias is, is instinctual and habitual and it feels engraved and it feels like there's no hope of change. It feels like you're broken. You know, something that's interesting about the whole Banksy thing is art experts are actually estimating that even though this whole plan of Banksy was to, you know, point out the horrors of the commercialization of art and the fact that art should be for beauty and all of that, the painting is now worth more, which is not probably Banksy's intent, although you probably saw it coming, but the painting is now worth much more than the $2.1 million it sold for because of what happened after it sold. In fact, Sotheby's, I think fairly cheekily, turning what was probably, you know, a mistake and a mix-up on their behalf into some sort of, we're the only auction house that's ever made art live at auction. Well, I think Banksy just destroyed something someone bought, but... See, because they say that the art isn't just the painting. The, the actual art was the whole stunt that day, that the shredding made it more valuable. Now, to, to a random viewer, a, a tattered painting isn't worth much at all, but to someone who knew the story, someone who appreciated the art behind the art, $2.1 million is a bargain. And I simply want to end by suggesting if that can be true of, of paint on a canvas, how much more can that be true of you and I? That, that our brokenness, that our inadequacies, that our, our hurts, our shames, our broken ways of thinking, they do not disqualify us. Instead, God takes them and He works in and through them. Our brokenness becomes an opportunity for Him to show His love. Because you could never do anything that would make Him love you less. And a perfect, pretty picture was never part of the plan because God was never counting on our goodness. He was always banking on His. See, if Jesus' resurrection teaches us anything, it's that God can do beautiful things with what looks broken. And so we don't have to wait to, to have it all together to come to Him. We can come to God with our ingrained negative thoughts and give it to Him. We can focus on Him and see what happens. But I also want to encourage you to say, is there an invitation to come as you are? But there is also an invitation to, to embrace your own agency. Say, hey, I'm, I'm not... I'm not some sort of leaf on the river of life being drifted wherever the, the currents might take me. I, I, I have a choice. I can influence what happens or I can influence what I do after things happen to me. And so you can choose to go to war. Choose to, to take captive the, the negative story that we might be tempted to tell. Choose to focus on, on the things that are beautiful, not just the things that are destructive. Choose to set your mind on things above. So church, as you stand to your feet, I want to do three things. First thing I do, just as if you're comfortable, if you would raise your hands and close your eyes, is I would love to just pray for us. God, we stand here today. God, we stand here acknowledging that we are broken people. Acknowledging that not one of us has, has never had a negative thought. God, that all of us have a self-destruct button. As, as Paul said, there's something in us that we are at war with within our mind. That there's something of a broken, sinful nature that, that wants to cause destruction, hurt, and pain to us and to others. But God, we thank you that that is not the end of the story. That you are a God of redemption. That you are a God of restoration. That you are a God of healing. That you are a God who meets us in our brokenness, but loves us too much to leave us there. And so, God, we come to you today in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our, our negative, ingrained thinking. We bring you the tattered, ruined, shredded pieces of us. And we thank you that you love us all the more. 
And God, as we stand here in this, in this place of response, maybe you're here today and, and, and you would identify with, or say, hey, I need to change the way I think. I don't want to think in 2024 the way I thought in 2023. There were too many moments in which I, I chased that, that negative rabbit, in which something in me caused harm, in which something took over the way that I was feeling, and, and, and a thought became a feeling, and that feeling ruled me. And so today, if you're here, and, and, and if that's you I'm describing, then just I ask in this space and, and in this moment as it's just you and God, this is just you and God. It's not going to go any further. I'm not going to ask you to come down the front or anything like that. But just for you to know, if that's you, if you're saying, hey, God, 2024, I want to think differently than I thought in 2023. I am taking my thoughts captive and I'm bringing them to you. I'm asking for your help. We just raise a hand. Just now as it's just you and God, raise a hand and surrender. Raise a hand and request. Raise a hand to say, God, I need your help in this. I cannot do it on my own. I want to think thoughts that are honoring of you. And I acknowledge that starts with thinking thoughts that are kind towards myself, beautiful towards the world. God, I thank you for every hand raised here today, online, however we might be responding. God, I thank you for the opportunity to bring our thoughts in line with who you are. God, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this in our own strength. We're not about the power of positive thinking. We are about the power of a miraculous, powerful, loving, merciful God. And so, God, we bring you our thoughts. We lay them at the cross this morning, and we say, would you help us? God, we know it might not be a quick fix, but we know that you are with us in the journey. And so would you empower us? Would you enable us? Would we leave here with a little bit more lightness in our step, knowing that we are not doing this on our own, that we are doing this with you, through your strength. God, would you meet us? Would you change us? Ultimately, would you help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith? In a moment, we're going to finish with a song of praise. Which before we do is again, heads about, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and you've heard me speaking of this God who loves you. Speaking of God who, who meets us in the middle of our brokenness who loves us even as we might feel that, that we're shredded, destroyed, and tattered. C.S. Lewis, the, the author and theologian, says the doors to hell are locked from the inside. What he means by that is that our relationship with God is always our choice. And it's up to us whether we decide to open the door and let Jesus in. That's our choice. Once we let him in, he does all that we couldn't do, but it's always our choice to let him in. And so if you're here today on this first Sunday of 2024 and you're saying, John, I think today's a day that I want to choose to let Jesus into my life. Maybe you've let him in before, but you feel like somewhere along the way, the door's shut again and you're trapped in with your demons. Well, let you know you don't have to stay there. Maybe you've never made this decision before. Maybe you've been waiting to get it right, waiting to pull yourself together to be presentable towards God. I want to let you know that we will never be presentable and God already loves you. So as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, in a moment I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the prayer other than your heart's intent to choose to trust God, a decision we make once and continue to make every day of our life gladly and joyfully. So as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, if that's you, I'd love you to raise your hand to let me know. If you just raise your hand so I can pray with you in three, two, one. Friend, if that's you, would you raise your hand nice and high? See the hand. 
see their hand. Others today, if that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you raise your hand. You say, hey, I want to open something in me to let God in where, where I need Him, to trust Him as my Lord and Savior, to let Him be God. That's you one more time. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You raise your hand up. Let me know. That's you online. Come on, we'd love to pray this prayer with you. Amazing. Church, would you repeat these words after me? Jesus, today I choose to trust you. I love you. Thank you that you would come for me in my brokenness and in my shame, that you love me. Today I choose to trust you. Help me to keep my eyes on you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 